Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Numa. What a privilege to be here. What a great sense of God's presence. And whatever thanks was afforded there, the behind every effective man is a far more effective woman and a surprised mother-in-law. But uh, <laughs> I just want to acknowledge my wife, Linda, who's actually up in Mount Isa visiting our grandkids. Anyway, you can be seated. Um, just, I'll just mention that briefly. If you're trying to work out the accent, I'm not a Kiwi. I am not a Kiwi. I am South African, been here a long time. Uh, met my wife, who's a Queenslander, the second day in the country. We were married 11 months later, I teased her, and I said, I only married you so I could stay. And um, she says, lucky I kept you. And uh, this coming January, we celebrate 42 years of being married. Uh, yeah, she's a saint, she's a saint. I've got two kids, um, a daughter and a son, and my son and his wife live up in Mount Isa, why I don't know. But they have our three grandchildren, and we've just had our third uh, three weeks ago. So we've got Hudson, Daisy, and Winston. And I don't particularly like Winston. Uh, he's got more hair than me, and he's just been born. <laughs> so, no, and I've just come from there visiting, and it's been a joy. And as you heard, we pastor a church in Canberra. I want to thank uh, and honour both uh, Pastor Corey and Pastor Sim. I hear everybody calls you. Someone for the privilege and the trust to share God's word with you this morning. And I'm really excited about what I've got to share. I really felt it was a word. And through this word, I think there's going to be moments where God's prophetic voice is going to be speaking to you specifically. I want us to read 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2. And one of the things we tend to do when we read in our Bibles, we kind of gloss over the introductions to books and sometimes the concluding things. But it's the word of God and it's rich with meaning and significant. And Paul is writing to the church at Corinthia. So he says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified. Sanctified simply means set apart for something special. Sanctified and set apart in a right relationship with God. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Corinth was a growing, dynamic, busy, prosperous city, but had a reputation in the ancient world of its reckless pursuit of pleasure. And so all sorts of other things are going on in Corinth. Leon Morris, a Bible scholar, describes Corinth as intellectually alert, materially prosperous, and morally corrupt. And I would say as you look around the world today, they would describe a whole number of cities, passing no judgment specifically on Melbourne, but I think you'd say, yeah, we're more educated intellectually, that there's a prosperity that we are experiencing, but a moral corruption 
And Paul speaking to this and really having to challenge the Corinthian church about the way they were living, he puts two things in that opening statement. The church of God, something good, something that God has birthed to bring his word, promote his kingdom, share the gospel, something good in the midst of something bad. And so in a very real sense, this could be written to the church of God that is in Melbourne, where there are people who name the name of Jesus who are called to be saints. And the big question that Paul is kind of asking the church at Corinth, are you influencing the city or is the city influencing you? And clearly as you read the book, some of their behaviors were being influenced by the city and he calls them back to kingdom lifestyle. The church, as many of you would know, is not the building, it's the people. It's every single person sitting here, everybody who names the name of Jesus is part of the church. And the Greek word is ecclesia, which means literally those who are called out. And in the context, it's actually called into the marketplace, called into the everyday spaces of life. That's the church. Yes, we gather and we celebrate and we love God's presence and we see the miraculous and all the things that are going on in this place. But you are the church, not just when you gathered, but when you are sent out into the marketplace. And every single church has two addresses. It has a geographical address, but it also has a spiritual address. It's identity in Christ. And I would encourage you who are new to the life of the church or even consider becoming a part of it, that you go along to whatever introductory courses um, that they encourage to understand the DNA of this church because it's unique. There's some things that every church has in common, but there is an anointing upon this house. It's a house of the Holy Spirit. It's a house of miracles. It's a house of consistency. And understanding the identity of this church in Christ and where you connect to it. But I want you to notice that phrase, called to be saints called to be saints. We have a terrible misunderstanding about what we think a saint is, and some of it maybe comes back from our upbringing and our concept of church or whatever the case is. But a saint is simply one who's set apart for God's purpose. It's not a dead person who lived a great life. We can be inspired by them. We can learn things from their lives of how they walked with God and all the rest of it. But a saint is actually a living person on planet Earth set apart for God's purposes because they said yes to Jesus Christ. And so regardless even, and I'll go carefully here, of the behavior, the person sitting next to you is a saint. Now, for some husbands and wives, that could be a stretch for some of you. <laughs> or even for your teenage kids. But you're called to be saints. Yeah. People set apart for the purpose of God in the city of Melbourne. To become an influence, become salt and light in that context. And so I wanna to speak to that sense of purpose. Because it's terrible to live life without a sense of purpose. 
Pre-COVID, there were some studies done, and these mainly come out of America, but much of the Western world reflects this, that up to 60% of people hated what they did and kind of felt lost in life, dissatisfied. And we know that that was exacerbated by the whole COVID experience, and I don't have to convince you or talk too much about it for those of you who have survived Victorian's lockdown. But even in that process, what I noticed was because of isolating, being locked up and being restricted in this, there was a sense where we felt disempowered. And I believe God wants to re-empower. I think it's already happening. I don't think this is a brand new message to this church, but in empowering every single one of you, called to be a saint, a person of influence in your city. Solomon, when he backslid, got away from God, makes the statement of what it's like to live without a sense of a divine purpose, a divine calling. And I'm not just speaking to people who feel they're called to be a pastor or, or one of the other fivefold ministry gifts. He says this in Ecclesiastes 2.17. So I came to hate life because everything done here under the sun is so troubling. And everything is meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. You see, whether you like it or not, every single one of us will end up somewhere, but some of us will end up somewhere on purpose. Craig Rochelle said that, and I love it. Every single one of us will end up somewhere, but some of us will end up somewhere on purpose. And it's not about saying, God, well, this is what I think my purpose is. I'd like you to bless it. God says, no, I want you to discover my purpose for your life, what I've put in you, what I've gifted you, destined you, what I've called you to. And so Father, right now, we invite the Holy Spirit to come. And regardless of what other words flow from my mouth today, that you would have that conversation with every single one about destiny, about calling, about purpose, And where there needs to be a fresh awakening or a realignment, Holy Spirit, we invite you to do that in Jesus' name. You see, living with purpose means to live intentionally. And I'm not talking about, you know, stressing out over every single moment of every single day. But that big sense, I know where I'm going. I know what I'm called to do. And that's a journey of discovery that some of you are on or some need to even start or some need to reaffirm. And it's not just tacking God's word onto something. To live intentional and purpose, to take God's word and let it be the center and the authority of your life and say, I'm gonna do my best to live according to these principles. I'm gonna seek God's word and I'm gonna seek God's will through his word and then I'm gonna let the Holy Spirit prompt me, lead me, direct me, invite me into situations. But I wanna live on purpose. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans spends 11 chapters describing how sinful we are, all of us are lost, the wonder of the work of Jesus Christ, how he makes us right with God. All he does it, we don't do it. Salvation is this thing of extraordinary grace. And then he comes to this point in chapter 12. And some of us would be familiar with this translation, I beseech you therefore brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies 
a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable act of worship, to present yourself a living sacrifice. Here I am, God. But I want to read it from the message, which is a paraphrase. But Eugene Peterson was a great Greek scholar, and he just brings a freshness. And he says this, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life. Your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. And I would add, and for yourself. But I love the way he does that. Because some of us are thinking, well, my life isn't good enough yet. And you're carrying a sense of shame, perhaps, a sense of guilt, a sense of failure. There's others of you think, well, I'm not that gifted. I'm not like so-and-so or that. No, no, he's speaking to every single one of us. Regardless of intelligence, gifting, capacity, whatever it is, he says, I want you to take your life and say, God, here am I. What do you want to do with my life? And it's not just a Sunday surrender, it's an everyday surrender. It's not just in acts of worship, as important as they are. It's in every single day saying, God, I'm on this planet to advance your kingdom. I'm in that workplace. I'm in that friendship group. I'm in that neighborhood. I've got these relations. It's in every sphere, the everyday, ordinary, walking around, eating, sleeping life. That many of us go, oh, it's just not that important. I'm just not that important. And there's some people who are fearful of stepping into that sense of destiny because you fear failure. And maybe you tried it once or twice and got the timing wrong or misstepped or something. But I want you to hear something that David said about his life in Psalm 138. He says, the Lord will work out his plans for my life. The Lord will work out his plans for my life, for your life. For your faithful lover, Lord, endures forever. I wonder if you notice that connection. The ability of God to work out plans for your life and my life is not based on our strength. It's based on the fact that he loves you. And that's ever the safety net. So when you misstep, when you get something wrong, God's not going there, well, that's it. It's over. All right? I'll never forget... um, my daughter first walking, she walked early. And I watched her one day, I was watching the cricket. And, uh, and we had a, a, a table, you know, what do you call it, in the lounge, you know, one of those things that you put coffee, coffee table, that's the word I was looking for. <laughs> and she was kind of holding on with a big nappy on the ground like this. And then I watched her, she calculated the distance between the coffee table and the chair. And I remember her going, she stood there wobbling for a little bit, and then she just walked. And her arms went up as she got to the chair, and then she fell on her backside. I didn't go to Linda and say, we need to trade this one in. She fell over. Come on. Come on. I watched her walk. And though she fell, 
She got up again. Now she doesn't need help. <laughs> you get my point? It's his love that brings us secure and makes us get through it. Our assurance is not in our ability, but in his eternal love for us. I love something that John Bergen, the dean of Chichester Cathedral in 18-something said, his, speaking of God's creating hands, formed our souls at the beginning. His nail-pierced hands redeemed them on Calvary. His glorified hands will hold our souls first and not let them go forever. His hands, uh, sorry, unto his hands, let us commend our spirits. But I love this bit. And his hands will again make perfect all that our hands have unmade. And what he's acknowledging, that even when we mess up and we've tried to get it right, but we got it wrong, the hands of God are involved in our lives and they remake things. And that's what Paul is saying in Romans 8 and verse 28, when he declares, we know that God causes everything to work together for good. I want you to just say this with me. Everything. everything. Now a little bit louder. Everything. everything. Now I want you to say it over your own life. Everything. Because we, we, it's all right. Oh yeah, for other people, God makes everything work together yeah. for good. But for me... And you need to prophesy over yourself sometimes. But I want you to notice it doesn't just say God will make everything work together for good full stop. There's two things that work to make that a reality. God causes everything to work together for good for those that love God. And here it is, and are called according to his purpose. And the everything is everything. The good, the bad, the ugly, the rebellious, the hurtful things, the things that were done to you that shouldn't have been done, the circumstances, the, the mistakes you made, the, the good things you got, all of that, the ability of God to weave it together, all he needs is for you to love him and say, God, I want your purpose in my life. I surrender. There's three things that I want to recommend to you as part of this. They're not the only things, but I think these are three foundational things. Number one, you've got to say, God, I want to honour you with my life. I want to honour you with my life. Joel Olstein said, keep honouring God with your life. Stay in peace. Trust his timing. That's a word for some people, yeah? yeah? Trust his timing. And God will open doors that no man can shut. God will open doors. Samuel the prophet speaking for God to a nation that was really messed up. The priesthood was corrupt. There were all sorts of things going on. You can read the historical context yourself. Says this, this is a word from God to the nation through Samuel. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. And literally it's saying, if you give honor God, God, I wanna honor you with my life. He says, I'll put weight on that. Because honor has to do with weightiness in its original form. But he says, you treat me lightly and I'll treat you lightly. The whole thing of honoring God. God, how do I put you first in my life? 
And please don't go to the thing, well, God first, family second, which order was again. No, in everything, God, in my family, how do I put you first? In my serving, how do I put you first? In my work situation or my studying, how do I put you first here? It's not, a, it's not pecking order, but in everything, how do I put you first? Martin Luther said that he believed that the call of God comes to us in our everyday daily tasks. And what he means by that, and I actually love this thought. Many of us are waiting for this momentous thing. And occasionally we do encounter God in an extraordinary way. And maybe some of you have heard the audible voice of God. I don't know, I'm not dismissing that. But he's saying when you invite God into the everyday, then every task becomes sacred. Every task is done unto the Lord. And suddenly God is involved in the everyday, not just in the things we think are sacred or special. Karl Barth, the great theologian, said we have the freedom of obedience to use our gifts, the opportunities that God gives us, and our circumstance to glorify God. Just, Just hear that phrase. Not duty, obligation, but the freedom of obedience to take the opportunities, to use the gifts and say, God, I want to honor you in this situation. And when you do that, God puts weight and his presence into the everyday. And I'm not talking about becoming weird. Oh, I feel all the presence. Don't be weird. I'm talking about if you're walking into the office or school, you know, you just don't be weird. But you'll sense that I'm walking with Jesus here. And it's not every day. Sometimes we just go through a day and don't feel anything. I'm not trying to put it on the feeling. But that sense, God, I'm, you're here. You're doing something. Many of you probably know the story of, that was made in the film Chariots of Fire. But I'll just outline it very briefly. It's the story of two British athletes competing in the 1924 Olympics. Eric Little, who was born on the mission field, comes from a missionary family, uh, Scottish background, uh, passionately on fire for Jesus. And from his perspective, he runs for the glory of God. And Harold Abrams, an English Jew who runs for the glory of overcoming prejudice. Now, I want you to hear this. What he runs for is actually quite a noble thing. There was growing anti-Semitism in, in Europe and in Britain at that time, and he's trying to shift that. It's not a, he's not doing a terrible thing. It's not all self-glory. But before two different races, Harold Abrams said this, running to change something but not sensing God in it. And now, in one hour's time, I'll be out there again. I'll raise my eyes and look down the corridor four feet wide. Ten lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? Ten lonely seconds to justify my existence. I don't know if there's a more apt description of legalism than that. Doing things to justify your existence and always worrying, is it enough? Am I good enough? And God wants that broken off your life. Whereas little says one day, I believe God made me for a purpose. 
but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Isn't that awesome? I feel his pleasure. And there are gifts and talents that God has put in your life. And when you act in them, it, it doesn't have to be in a church space. It's in any space. When you act, teachers and nurses and, and, and accountants. I even know accountants who sense the presence of God while they're adding up numbers. Like, it's beyond me. <laughs> but you feel that you, you give, you're doing something that adds value, that you're gifted for, that you're called to, yeah. and you're bringing something of the kingdom to bear. You see, God wants to take you by your heart this morning and not twist you by your arm, but he wants you to live with purpose, called to be a saint, somebody set apart for God's purpose wherever you go. The second key thing is, and I'm just going to touch on this briefly and read a passage that I think is pretty self-explanatory, is learning to be faithful in small things. And I know this applies to just about every one of us. Perhaps frustrated in a work situation, feeling overlooked. God is saying, now just be faithful in the small things. Promotion doesn't come from the east or from the west, but it comes from the Lord. And Jesus tells this parable and he draws a conclusion. Luke 16, 10. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you're not faithful with another person's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? That's a big one. That's a big one for the workplace. In that parable in Matthew 25, where the master gives talents to three servants, five, two, and one, two of them come back having multiplied it, And they hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter your master's joy or come share your master's happiness. The other one says, I buried it. I did nothing with it. All I did was keep it safe. And he is called a wicked and a lazy servant. You see, Jesus does not want us to be involved in a do-nothing kind of Christianity. He said, you've got to live with purpose. You've got to live with a sense of destiny. You've got to live with a sense, even if it's small, I'm making a difference here. And in the small, there's greater responsibility, greater opportunity. Simply to have done no harm, somebody said, maybe praise for a stone, but not for a person. Simply to have done no harm may be praise for a stone, but not for a person. And so my third point. The first is to honor the Lord. The second is to pay attention to the little things because those become big things. But to challenge you to consider your calling. That regardless of your occupation, your gifts, where you end up doing life, where you end up working, God calls you into it and wants you to live called. To live called. To live on assignment. Having spoken to the church at Ephesus, he says this, Paul, Ephesians 4.1, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you 
to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. And he's not talking to the pastoral team there. He's talking to the whole church. You have been called by God. You have been called by God. I'm daring you to say yes to the call of God. For some, it's to refresh it, to renew it. Others, you're doing all right in it, but this is to encourage, to say, God, I want to live as a called person, not just out of convenience, not just fitting God into my life, but no matter where I am, I'm on assignment. I'm called by God. Everything in your life changes when you say yes. Isaiah chapter six, amazing passage. As Isaiah looks at the chaos in the nation and the impending destruction that's going to take place. And he calls out to God because he sees this revelation of God. Saw the Lord high and lifted up. Glory filling the temple. Angels flying around. Awesome sight. And all he feels is undone, unclean. What am I doing here? And immediately acknowledges that God sends an angel to cleanse him. And we have far more than an angel sent to cleanse us. We've got the Son of God who died on a cross, shed his blood. And you, if you name the name of Jesus, are now perfect and complete. That's the words of the great high priest over your life. You are perfect and complete. You're cleansed. And then God does something that's so amazing. He doesn't just say, okay, Isaiah, I fixed your life now. I've got this, this, and this for you. He just leaves him there, cleansed, like, oh, wow, what happened? You know? And he lets him overhear a conversation between the members of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they say, who can we send? And who'll go for us? And out of sheer gratitude and joy, says, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am. I wonder what it'd be like, and I challenge myself with this, how different our lives would be if every morning as we swing our legs to get out of the edge of the bed to get up, we just paused and said, today, Lord, here I am. Here I am. Send me. Send me. Many of us feel ill-equipped. Isaiah unclean. Moses argued that he was so lost in the back part of the wilderness, he'd messed up so many times trying to make the call of God and now he's probably too old for anything much to happen. Jeremiah says, I'm too young. I mean, there's all these different excuses, but Lord, but Lord. And some of you are still arguing with God. Like you think you're going to win? I love the call of God on Jeremiah. What unfolds. Because like Moses and Isaiah, Jeremiah tells God how ill-equipped he is. Only to find that God is completely unimpressed with the conversation. You see, he knows better than we how ill-equipped we are. But he invites us into his plan. He invites us into his purpose purpose. He invites us to be his person, advancing the kingdom wherever we go. And he says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. 
I want you to catch those words because they are true of all of us. Before you were formed in the womb, God knew you. He foreknew you, he foresaw you, he planned for you. However you arrived on this planet, he knew you were coming and he planned for it. Before you were born, he said, I set you apart. I called you to be a saint. And then he says, and I appointed you too. Now for Jeremiah, it was to be a prophet to the nations. And that word appoint sounds pretty impressive, doesn't it? I appointed you a prophet to the nations. But if you look it up, the Hebrew word is found about 1,226 times in the Old Testament. So it's a very common word. It's rightly translated here. There's nothing wrong with the translation. can be appointed. But you know the most common way the word is translated? I gave you. Or I've given you. Now read that. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart. And Jeremiah, I've already given you away to the nations. I've given you away. You, in terms of your destiny, called to be a saint, somebody set apart. God has given you to people and places. And he wants you to live called in that. He's given you away. And in our modern day society, we go, how dare you give me away? I've got rights. I've got rights. I'm going to be out protesting on the streets of Melbourne. I got caught up in one of those yesterday. It was a bit of fun, along with the weather that you introduced. But anyway, we won't go there. Come from Canberra, it's almost as bad. But I've got rights. I didn't have a choice in that. God says, I know, Jeremiah, you can argue about this, but it's done. Yeah, yeah. It's done. I've given you away. God gives. He's generous. In fact, he's lavishly generous. Before Jeremiah ever got it together, he was given away. And that's God's way. He did it with his own son. He gave him away. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Your life, if you name Jesus as Lord and Savior, is already given away. You can try and get God to fit in with your program your purpose, or you could say, God, what have you given me a way to? And you'll find meaning and significance and a whole lot of other things flow from that. You're called to be a saint, somebody set aside for God's purpose. God's given you to people and places. And I believe there's some people this morning that really need to do business with God and seal the deal. For others, it's an affirmation. For others, it's a reawakening because something got lost because of a life circumstance, perhaps tied to COVID, unrelated, it really. But it's just like, yeah. God's saying, come on, step back into it, step back into it. We spend way too much time worrying about what God has or hasn't given, up, given to us rather than concerning ourselves with 
where God has given us and to whom has God given us. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.